Welcome back to the Go Off Sis podcast. We are here and we are back for season three. And the third time's a charm because this season is about to be everything. We're bringing everyone back to school and talking HBCUs, the culture, and the iconic moment that is homecoming. And today we're starting off the season with some real fire on the mic. Our special roundtable guests for this episode and my personal friends, Sylvia O'Bell and Scotty Bean. Sylvia and Scotty are media personalities and the hosts of the hugely popular podcast, Okay Now Listen, from Netflix's Strong Black Lead. They're also HBCU attendees, so we thought it'd be appropriate to set up a little verses of our own. HBCUs versus PWIs. Who y'all got? Let's get into it. So let's just start off with intros. Welcome back again. My name is Danielle Cadet. I'm the managing editor of R29 Unbothered. And although this season is about HBCUs, I will admit that I went to school with white people. Mm. I went to Northwestern University. And so I will get into all things about my own PWI experience. As you all know, my sister and partner in crime, Chelsea Sanders, a.k.a. Pastor Sanders, is here with me. Chelsea, go right ahead and reintroduce yourself to the people. Hello. Okay, we are back. Someone didn't cut my mic. That counts. <laughs> it still uh, works, sis. It still works. Yeah, exactly. Look, <laughs> we're going to figure it out. My name is Chelsea Sanders. I am the VP of Communications at Refinery29. And yeah, we're going to get into a lot. Uh, just so you guys know, I went to Yale and that's with a capital Y as in W-H-Y. <laughs> we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, <laughs> loved it, but might have to leave it there. So we'll see. <laughs> you have to say it like, oh, black folks say white people why you, you have to make sure why? you pronounce with the, the h with the yeah the why why, why yeah. did you go <laughs> <laughs> and you don't need an introduction but go right ahead and introduce yourself sylvia let's start with you well i mean i feel like you covered it you know what i mean i am the co-host of okay now listen i'm a writer I am a single Black woman who is the age of 30. No, <laughs> to, to stay on topic and theme, I am a graduate of the illustrious North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. That is North Carolina A&T, the number one public HBCU in the country currently. So Aggie pride to all the Aggies listening. Well, I'm here to hold us down. That's me. I'm here. <laughs> with the entire name of you the school. You have to come correct. You His have government to name. set the tone. It's she the beginning. Hit us with the school's government name. And I'm coming both worlds, both worlds, because my graduate school degree is at Columbia University, which is an Ivy League. It doesn't start with a Y, but there's also maybe the possible unasked Y mm. there. My student loan, my bank account says Y. It says, it says why, why? <laughs> and we will get into the why, okay? So Sylvia's bringing us both HBCU and PWI experience. Scotty, go right. I, I don't know how you will follow that up, but please. Sis. I don't, I don't, and I won't, you know, my, I'm, that's, that's the thing. I just won't. My name is Scotty Beam. I'm a media personality. I do it all. I can't really list all the things that I've done, but I do a little bit of everything. And yeah. I am a Clark Atlanta University dropout. So this <laughs> one, yes. I loved my HBCU experience, but I had to peace out. I had to leave. So yes. Mm. Yeah. So we're and we're gonna get into that too. 
And I love you. I do everything. Okay, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Claim that. Go ahead, I, no, claim I do. That. I couldn't yes. go down. Yes. We have so much to talk about in this episode, but we're going to start off with our favorite college memory. And I think that's going to bring us very naturally into conversation about our own experiences. Now, I could be very extra and I can say <laughs> that my, my greatest college memory was becoming a member of the first and the finest <laughs> Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Okay. Now I see I, I tried to take it easy on y'all, but okay, if you want if we if you want me to go there, I'll go there. <laughs> but absolutely joining my sorority was is one of my favorite college memories that I can share with y'all. And I can't even share all of that. So <laughs> I will leave it at that in that it is certainly something that has I've I've kept with me throughout my postgraduate experience. It is also, I think, what helped me maintain and develop my identity as a Black woman in a very white space. So it is by far my favorite memory from college. Chelsea, let's go over to you at Yale with the white people. Okay. And again, we, we got to figure this out because there are a couple of things that, again, I, I might have to say allegedly after this. <laughs> just again. Qualify. Qualify. I know. And really, my, my favorite college memory is graduating. I didn't mean to laugh. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. Let me get my diploma and like, don't even look at me, Becky. Like, I can't. We're going to get deep into Chelsea's experience. Scotty, what's your favorite college memory? I am fighting with so many memories, but I'm going to do the one that won't put me in jail. <laughs> so I'm going to say becoming Miss Junior of Morehouse. Oh, yes. Come on, Dad. Being a pageant girl for that one time. That was a good time simply because. Tell them the reason. Please (laughs) tell them the real reason. (laughs) (laughs) And this is also petty, Scotty. This is when I was a petty girl. I'm not that anymore. Please bring bring us petty, Scotty. In the AUC, which is the Atlanta University Center, you have Clark Atlanta University, you have Morehouse, and you have Spelman. At the time, people felt like only Spelman mm-hmm. can do pageants for mm-hmm. Morehouse. And mm-hmm. I was like, ah, that's not a thing. Like, that's not true. Mm-hmm. And plus, I am really cool with a lot of people in Morehouse. I got along with everybody. I'm pretty, pretty friendly. So I was like, let me just do it. And also, I'm a tomboy. I wanted to do things differently. I sang with my space jams on. I, you know, I was a very different girl back then. Well, I'm the same girl, but I just was, you know, different from what people thought that you had to be to be a pageant girl. Mm. So, yeah, when I won, I honestly didn't want to take any responsibilities. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to march. I didn't want to get on no float. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted them to know that, yes, bitch. Like, you remember... (laughs) Um, you remember Aunt Viv when she did the dance in front of yes. all of my girls? And, and then at the end, she was like, ah. <laughs> That's the last you saw from me after that. And that, that's, I think that was my favorite memory, probably. And then, like, the, the audience was chanting my name and stuff. It was really fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is like television. I can see it. Yeah, it was like, a moment. Yeah. It was a moment. I can see the space no jams. Right. I can see you. I right. love that. This is like an episode. I love that you you get into the nuances of the different schools, which we're going to talk a bit about. Definitely the differences in the characteristics 
that each HBCU has. Mm-hmm. Last but certainly not least, says Sylvia, go right ahead and tell us the memory that you can share. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite college memory that you can share. I'm going to spice it up a bit. I'm going to keep it something that won't get me in trouble. But y'all been playing it real cute with the, oh, spice. I pledged. <laughs> oh, I graduated with no cap and gown. Oh, this pageant, which I did love the pageant story. But I'm going to go ahead and share that my favorite memory from college was Tap Out Thursday. Okay? Ooh. We call it Tap Out Thursday. Not Tap Out. <laughs> and every Thursday... We would we would get together and drink and just have a good time and be silly and fun and like we would usually end up spending the night there like we it was just a good time that. it was just mm. something that we did every week to kind of come together as a squad crew and like just have a good time and yeah. I loved tap out Thursday to the point where like even it was such a thing that even like people knew like oh it's Thursday we know where Sylvia is gonna be or like when my like we had one final one at graduation at, like the graduation oh. weekend my mom was like I want to come to tap out Thursday because oh. she was in town. And I was like, no, no parents allowed. <laughs> Kids, enjoy it while you can, child. I remember just having a Wednesday to yourself in the middle of the week to do nothing. It's just like, like your days are just so crazy. But I love, I love that y'all called yourselves the beta chapter because we did that. <laughs> I refused to become an alpha sweetheart because I didn't want folks to think I was fast. And but, watch it but now. now. But now watch whether or not Alpha now, now whether or not I was fast, now, you better watch it, Danielle. Now listen, now listen, Scotty. Now whether whether or not I was fast ain't nobody's business. Okay, but watch I, it. So I, I want to talk about how we even had this experience. What made us choose an HBCU versus choosing a PWI? Because I think it's it's a really important part of. Our ex- like the experience that we had in undergrad and then, you know, the experience that we've had as as postgraduates and how that has shaped who we've become. And and, and I, I'm, I'm happy to start in that I went to Northwestern largely because of how great of a of a journalism school it is. And, and I wanted to go to one of the best journalism schools in the country. And I, I think I thought about that more than even thinking about my own experience as a black person. I'm more so just thought about like, what's my, what path do I want to put myself on professionally rather than who do I want to surround myself around personally in order to fulfill my identity? And so when I look back on it in retrospect, I realized that I identified more as a, as an inspiring journalist than I did as a black person. But I do think that that played a big role for me and also being a first-generation American, Sylvia, I know you understand this. I'm Haitian-American, and I come from a family that, like, didn't even really know what HBCUs were. It was very much like education, education, education. And my choice to even go down the road of journalism to my family was like, right. what? Talk like, about what? it. You're, you're about to do what? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like, my family is Kenyan. So I'm like Kenyan American, like then I'm first gen. I was born here, but my parents were both from Kenya and most of my extended family. So I was definitely the first person in my extended, even in my extended family who even desired to go to an HBCU. And I do Mm. think that has to do with the age gap. Like most of my cousins in America are on my dad's side Mm. and my dad is the youngest boy of like eight. You know what I mean? Mm. He's like, so he's like number eight of nine children. So like a lot of my cousins who they were older, they went to schools like 
Penn and they went to Rutgers. I'm from Jersey. And then just so you understand like where I was, like what was going on when I was in high school, like I'm from Jersey, but like it was in the era where like the South was rising. You know what I mean? In the sense where it was like Drumline was a a movie. ATL was Mm -hmm. a movie. Like T.I. was the king. And like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like you said, Stomp the Yard came out too. So I was like, oh, what are, what are these schools that I'm seeing on these movies? Like they really look exciting. The South seems like a cool Mm. place that's not super far from home but I like it and like it really intrigued me as to like what HBCUs were so I was really into the idea of that specifically kind of Danielle because we were first gen and honestly growing up and I think most first gens can relate to the duality of being black American and then having parents who aren't right right so like you're raised in a household where a lot of the things that if you're raised in a Black American household, culture-wise, yes. you don't get to experience. And right. in my mind, this was my chance mm. to mm. experience Black American culture and that part of me that never got fed at home. Mm. To learn more about that side of myself and the, the people who I feel in allegiance, like, and like, you know, who are more like me than my parents ever would be or understand. Yeah. And I felt like I could learn more about the culture that I didn't get intrinsically taught growing yes, up. You know what I mean? Yes. Or that I experienced, but I was learning about it on my own. Yes. And I wanted mm. professors and stuff who would be able to educate me about what it means to be a Black American person in this country. That is real. That is so real. So I went on the college tour because I, I do my research. During the tour. During the tour? Yeah. <laughs> literally get everybody to come and say hi to you. Like, I do. The tour the is crazy. Niggas, and like Jeezy. All the marching Jeezy, bands, like, Jeezy all, all, all the fraternities. All of the... It's literally everybody <laughs> yes. is there. And it was like... And you're like, oh, oh is, yes. is this going to be every day? And they're like, it's every day. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Here. So exactly. And then like literally like young Jeezy's rolling his Lamborghini down the campus and like T-Pain is at Lennox Mall. Right. We're at the skating rink where T.I. and them and Lauren Lennon <laughs> and them was doing their thing. And I was like, wow, I love it here. But then when I saw A&T, the campus was gorgeous. Yes. A&T has a beautiful, yes, A&T has a beautiful campus. Beautiful. So that's how I ended up. So like these are the things that made me think about A&T. But it was kind of like, I also tried to listen to my spirit. And when I was on that campus, it just felt like, huh, this is somewhere yeah. I should apply to. And yeah. I got the biggest scholarship there. Mm-hmm. But to that point, my mom was with it. My dad was like, being Black in America, I'll never forget, these were his exact words. He said, being Black in America is hard enough. Why would you stamp Black on your degree and mm-hmm. think these white people are going to hire you? Woo! He, wow. Because wow. I mean, because for most Africans, when they come to America, the goal is to assimilate, yes, to succeed. Yes, yes, yes. Fuck your pride, fuck the egoness about it. They're like, we're here to appease and succeed how the white people define that for us. Yes. So yes. for him, this rebellious move was very much like, it's not that he didn't like black people, but he was very much like, look at this racist ass country that we're yes, in. Like, yes. this is crazy. They're, this is going to make it harder for you. Right. then you need to make it. And I was dead set that neither of them are paying for my college. So the choice really was mine. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Immigrants certainly do have a certain idea of what, of assimilation and of prioritizing white culture over black culture. Yeah. But Scotty, I want you to jump in here because you shared something really salient with us about who you trusted with your education in terms of why you chose an HBCU. So oh, go ahead and go ahead and, and share your story. Oh, no, it, it's very simple. I don't trust white people with my future. I don't trust white people with my education. 
history shows look at the white material it's there look at the material um, <laughs> can I, I just say can I, just how matter can you say it again because it's so it's matter, so matter fact, fact. I love oh, it no. I, I don't trust white people with my future like I don't I there's nothing yeah. there's no information that you can give me that will tell me <laughs> otherwise so you know I don't trust white people with my education and you know for the very fact that I know that white people don't see it for both those things with us our future okay. or our education. Mm. So, you know. Ooh, wow. You said a little, That's, but you said a lot. You, you <laughs> sure did. <laughs> Whomever institution would have to just do more in mm. order for me to go there. You know mm. what I'm saying? Just mm. not just the name, just more than that. And also, I didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, you guys knew that y'all wanted to be a journalist. I stuck to identity, you know, yeah. mm. faster. So, you know, judging from the experiences of my what black people have told me who helped them in their PWI, you know, mm-hmm. it was a black person. Yes. Black administrative. And, yes. and it was black teachers that helped yes. them and pulled them through. You yes. know what I'm saying? So when I was like, okay, there is a world where I can have both, like I can have black <laughs> students, friends, and also black teachers. You know, I was like, absolutely. I want to go. Also, you know, that question what are you black or are you a woman first? Mm. And I felt like this was going to be the only place where I could lead with my womanhood. Woo. So, wow. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that I don't want to lead with my blackness. You know what I'm saying? I do want to, but then there's something more than being black. Like I want to be a black woman. I want to mm. know what it looks like to be a, just a woman. You know, and if everybody in the student center is black, I know I can say I'm a woman. You know what I'm saying? Like the chance to just put it to the side, just put it to the side, and not not having Mm -hmm. to lead with your blackness. And aside from that, just being the example, I can just imagine. You know what you guys, Chelsea and and Danielle. I don't, I don't know, and I can't wait to hear these experiences. But you know, with always having to be the example of what black should look like. You know what I'm saying? And I just wanted to, just for once, to be like. I wanted to know what it felt like to just be me and reach past my blackness and know what that looks like too. What do I look like when I remove my black? Who am I as yes. a person? Yes. And also, who is this person next to me? I don't want to stick to them because they're black. I want to stick to them because I want to. I know this who person. Yes. Mm-hmm. She was over here like it's not that deep. Let me drop seven <laughs> deep gems on you. While I'm here, meanwhile, meanwhile, she took the air out of the room. All of us were like. Chelsea, I know I know you've got stories for days and I, I I want I want you to to take the mic here and really talk about that. I'm gonna tee that up by saying, you know, my husband and I have watched Netflix Dear White People together. And again, like I said, my hu- my husband's a graduate of Hampton University. And I remember watching the first season with him and him being like, This is so dramatic. This is this doesn't <laughs> happen. This isn't real. And I was like, Nigga, what this happened to me? <laughs> I can name multiple instances when, you know, we had a tennis court on campus that if you were black, you stayed away from because there were white frats had dorms around there. And when they saw black people walking on the tennis court, they would throw eggs at them. Mm-hmm. We had we had certain sections of the library that we studied in together because White people would harass you in the library. We studied in the Black House because the Black House was the African-American Student Center. We studied there. We ate there. We congregated there. Sometimes we fell asleep there because it was where we felt safe because there were oftentimes instances where you were being 
attacked by white people. Every Halloween, someone wore blackface. Every, I mean, there, it, it's yes. just, it's a very normal part of your experience as, as a Black person in PWI. And Chelsea, I know you have so much to share here, so I really, I want you to step in here. Yeah, I mean, that was that took me to back to the place. So we're gonna have to go back I, here. I, you guys, no, I don't want not guys to be might triggering. have to lay hands on me because be, I don't want to trigger <laughs> you, sis. No, it's very real. But just to like, just for some context, so I had when you're talking about the like age gap between like your family going to different schools and you wanting to go to an HBCU. I have a sort of flipped experience because my older brothers who are like 15 years older than me went to HBCUs. My oldest brother went to Howard and my second brother went to Morehouse. And we took them, we took my brother to Morehouse. And so I, and I have family in Atlanta and my other cousin went to Morris Brown and then Clark when Morris Brown was no more. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of experience like seeing HBCUs. And I think for me, when I was like five years old, I was like, Ooh, these are for the cool kids. I'm not cool. Like (laughs) I'm a nerd. And I like, I just want to sit at home and read books like genuinely. (laughs) And so from age seven on, I was like, I want to go to Yale because that's where I know I'm going to get the best education. Like no one was telling me that there was any other options. And when I'm like, okay, I'm going to do something. I was like, I'm going to do it and it's going to be done. So nothing ever entered my head outside of Yale for the entire time that I was in school. And so for me, when I got on campus, I was like, oh, this is the dream. Like I made it, I did it. And I think that was why it was also so hard because I have never experienced the kind of racism that I experienced on that campus. Same. And the kind of like violations of my like personhood in a way that made me question my blackness too, to your point, Scotty, about being able to just be a woman, mm-hmm. I always, always, again, from like, I want to even say like the second day on campus, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to think about this very differently because mm-hmm. we did a program and it was like, you know, the like frosh, like entrance programs. And it was like, okay, you have your like outdoorsy thing and you have your like a singing thing. And then you had, we had something called cultural connections, which I was like, oh, okay, this is for the black people, right? Mm-hmm. And whenever they put <laughs> the word culture, that's the key right. word. That, that's that the, is the key. That is the black key. Folk. Right. And there were like maybe 20 of us just literally looking at each other like, oh, this is it. Oh, okay. Yep. Like there, yep. there's no one else yep. coming in the room. Okay. Yep. Okay. And it was a moment where it wasn't like, okay, well, we're just going to do this together. It was like, okay, only one of us is going to get out of here alive. Mm. And that was like, it really, it got into my head of like dealing with being black on campus and having to deal with that onus and having to be like, the one good one, if yeah. that makes sense. Like, yeah. yeah. And so for me, I escaped by like majoring in African-American studies and finding that like black professor right. who one day she was teaching me and the next day she was literally giving an inauguration speech at Obama's inauguration. So I yeah. was like, oh, these yeah. are the people who are going to help me get to where I want to be. But the amount of energy and the amount of psychic... <laughs> how draining that was for me just on a day-to-day level and feeling like I could not put my shit down Mm. was, it almost made me not graduate. Like truly, I barely got out. Yeah. And I, I, Chelsea, you just said a word and and a word on top of a word. There's so much that I identify with. And and I have to, I do have to say this, that at Northwestern, Northwestern is a very white school. And when I was there, there was only 4% black population. But I do want to shout out the black cats because we formed a very close 
coalition and a family. Mm. And so we, we just, we did form this family. But a lot of that, you realize a lot of our relationship was predicated upon being sort of underneath this white gaze. One thing my husband said to me is he's like, I, I realize in going to HBCU that just because you're Black, I don't have to be friends with you. And that's mm. not an experience that we had because it was like, there's so few of us. You can't afford to do that. You can't right. afford to have beef with each other. You're certainly not going to have beef with each other in front of the white folks. And you might not like yeah. each other. And again, 4%, y'all. And, mm. and maybe four of them were men. So now you got like... 10 women trying to date four men and maybe two of them are attractive, right? So, so these 10 Real women... survival mode. These, truly. So now these 10 uh, women hate each other. I me and Scotty's faces like, <laughs> like, y'all telling these stories. Right. We like we're watching a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 so it is, though. No, that, it's true. It's true. Yes. It is kind of a horror movie. So, Scotty, I want you to talk about that a little bit just in terms of, like, not having a lead with your Blackness, not having to be the only and having to kind of exist underneath this white gaze. No, I think it just was me wanting to know more about, (laughs) wanting to know more about a human being, a person and myself. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I think it had a lot of, it had a lot to do with who I am. I, I wanted to know who I was past my blackness because I leave with my blackness so much. Sometimes I have to say, okay, even now, shit, Mm. So, you know, I think high school me, I was like, I don't, I'm tired of having to ex- always explain or having to explain who I am, why I'm this way, you know, why I say the things that I say. So I know that there are people like that, but I would like to know the background story. I understand we all have the same experience. We have some of the same experiences, but ours look different. I want to know more about that. I want to be friends with those that, you know, I can get along with, not mm. just because, we're in front of these white people and we got to act like we all get along. And I, and I get that. I understand right. it. Cause I would do it yep. without hesitation. I would do it every time. Shit. Now, if anybody white speaks bad about anybody, I do not like, and they black, I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> like, you know, you're going to hold, you're going to hold your tongue. Cause right. you know, that, that has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And just to piggyback a little bit, I feel like, it's it, essentially, and I think this is why a lot of some of, like, and everybody who went to HBCU, I think we understand this. It's your literal only chance in life yeah. to not have to deal with the way the real world America sets us up as yes. Black people. Yes. Like, you guys sounded like you were in the microcosm of America, essentially. Yeah. The yeah. things yep. you guys dealt with in college, we deal with now as right. adults. Right. But we knew that going to an HBCU was the only time in our lives where we would have those four, like, utopian-like years of what does society look like when race is removed? Yes. You know what I mean? From, yeah, like, yes. the equation. And then we get to see who we are, what we like, who we like, what we do, what our yes. interests are, you yes. know, and, like, compete without thinking that racism is playing a part in it ever. Because while we're experiencing that that privilege, it's a privilege that, like, you don't get in America, that we got to experience for a little bit. Mm-hmm. We, we got to see what, it's the closest you get to seeing what it's like to be a white person. Where it's like, mm. what does it look like when it's not, mm-hmm. when yes. it's not an issue, yeah. my race mm-hmm. is not an issue. And so our professors will remind us regularly, 
Like, but when you get out of here, it's almost like they're training you for war. <laughs> like They're like, so listen, like, this is cute. But also know that when you go here or yes. when you do this or when you go here. And so that's where a lot of the respectability politics come in, which is a yes. different issue. Yes. But it's like they're, cause they're training us to deal with what white people are going to put us through. What our interviews are like. Yes, yes. And I, wa- I want to get yeah. into that. I want to get into that. And I... I I love what you say about the fact that like, you know, for four years you do, you get to be a white person. And it's so interesting. Like you have to think about like how, like how old you are in college, right? Like Mm -hmm. if I think of like my experience from age 17, 18 to about 22 to have to confront some really ugly truths about society and about my identity. And Chelsea and I have talked about this. I feel like I left college a little bit angrier than my friends who went to HBCUs. A like, I think I went. <laughs> Chelsea's like, um, sis. <laughs> I was bad as hell. Yeah, you know? exactly. I, I do, I do. I feel like, I feel like my people, like a lot of my friends who graduated from PWIs, we, we left and we were just pissed. Like we were just mad. We entered into the workforce just with this trauma and this anger that, that, made it challenging to operate in our own workspaces. But Sylvia, yeah. you, you bring up mm-hmm. a really great point about removing race. And, and Scotty, you said this about the dynamics between the schools at AUC. I want to talk about that. You know, the nuances between HBCUs, because my husband apparently went to a very bougie HBCU and yes, we yes, had a lot high, of high Hampton, hi all my Hampton friends. Love y'all. I love y'all bougie asses. I love y'all dearly. But you know, and we talk about you know the save the date from the wedding. Hampton folks being their tuxedos. We've talked and about gowns the fact and gowns and gowns. <laughs> but I, you know, I do want to talk about when you remove race from the issue, you then are you. It's almost this microcosm of classism colorism, elitism, you know, sexism. There's so many nuances that then come into play on an HBCU campus. And like you said, it's not perfect. Yeah, because like you said, you get to lead as who you are, but sometimes who you are is an asshole. Sometimes who you are is a misogynistic pig. Sometimes who you are is a bougie girl who looks down on girls who didn't grow up in the same neighborhood or single parent families or because you had your mom and dad and you went to Jack and Jill and you could afford to and I couldn't. You're better than me. about to get in on a Jack and Jill, y'all. You said it first. Thank you for saying it first. Because I definitely was going to say that. Because listen, it's it's literally because that's that's what comes next, right? It's like, okay, we removed this. Thank you. Yes. But then we deal with the same stuff. Like yes. he says, like, it's like in, for there to be more than two attractive men on campus, that wasn't yes. the issue. You know what I mean? Yeah. And women or whatever. But for me, it was very much like, I remember because bitch was a big thing then, like just when men just regularly referring to them as bitches. Like since yes. we didn't have our Meg the Stallions and our Cardis or whoever right. else was like sexually like uplifting us. You know what I mean? Like yeah. sexism was probably the biggest thing. Misogynoir, that's where I learned misogynoir. Right. Was at was at an HBCU because that yes. was the first time I had to be confronted with the fact that like when we removed the white people, black men, this is how y'all treat us when y'all don't right. have to protect us because there's white people mm. around. That part. Like, this is how y'all treat us. Like yeah. it's, we're, we, we're, we're just bitches and hoes to y'all. Mm. They don't have to pretend to respect us because they know white people around. Oof. Like mm. it's really mm. crazy. And I think 
it was really so there's like like I said so there's the fun rivalry which is like oh I'm from New York you got a funny accent like yeah, uh-huh. yeah. or like oh the were the gangs where you grew up or like you know right. whatever right. else but like or like I'm from the hood and you're from the suburbs and we have not the same experience or like your mom and dad paid for you to be here I took out mad loans or I don't even right. know who my dad is like conversations like right child we we were known as down to earth right mm-hmm. the down, down to earth, earth which means broke we were the broke school i hate the fuck Humble i hate when niggas morehouse niggas used to be like oh you know i love clark girls because they down to earth shut the fuck up <laughs> you, just, right. you, you just know that we like a netflix and chill we're all okay. Okay. i could take mm-hmm. her to the waffle house right. but the spellman chick i gotta right. take her to the fancy shit right. you gotta take her to chick-fil-a <laughs> and I, I get fucking waffle house underground you take right. her to fucking any like lennox mall so yeah i think with all that like it was very frustrating for me to be already put in a box mm. yeah. depending on what school i went to mm-hmm. wow. and that's what hbcus period the classism and the colorism that exists there and how that plays itself out as you're coming into your own, as you're dating, whether you're dating men, women, whomever, as you're, as you're figuring out your sexual identity. What was that like? You know, when we speak about colorism in college, I, I really wanted to stay ignorant about mm. it. Mm. I knew that I don't know why, and I honestly I know somebody's a little bitch. I knew why. I didn't. I didn't know why. <laughs> oh, tell us later, Twitter. I didn't. <laughs> tell I, us I, later. I, I really don't know why. So many women. <laughs> to the one girl thinking you know why, feel free to tweet us. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but yeah, I think it became. You know, we say take men out of it. Shit, we have no choice but to put them back in because that's right. exactly what it was over. Yeah, that is so interesting because also like as as you guys are talking about this and like being put into boxes, like I I feel like you know what I mean. Like I'm not sure if I took that as like a like a PWI thing or just a college thing because yeah. I think for me like I even after all of everything I experienced there, like I don't regret my education at right. Yale and Same. I don't regret going to Yale, Same. but I do regret because it was mine. Right. But I do regret the experience because that wasn't right. Like, right. I let other people tell me who I was in college. Mm. I totally agree because I think one thing Chelsea we've talked about is in terms of our college experiences. One thing that happens when you do have race, part of it is that intraracial, you're then qualifying who's black and who's not. Right. Exactly. So because mm. we had such a close knit black community, anybody that existed outside of that was like, who the hell is that? Like, like I literally, I'm, I kid you not. I was on the phone with my best friend a couple days ago and she was like, do you remember so-and-so? And I said, who? And she was like, so-and-so said the, said the child name about three times. And I said, Oh, you mean that? <laughs> I said, you know, that, that black girl that was in the white sorority, because we, it was very much like, which Chelsea has admitted. Again, I was very, very lost. Right. And again, I learned that like uh, people, unless you are like, people will tell you who you are. And I believe them. Like yes. that was the thing that like, yes. I believed mm, them. Yes. That's why and you I, were so angry. Because yes. I, I hadn't yes. been told anything different. And then when I realized I was like, all of this is a fucking lie. Are you kidding me? Yes. And now I got to go out in the world and do this forever with right. all of you again. Yeah. Like that, I felt robbed. No of, break. Like, 
the like the experience that I wanted. And that is what I will say that I learned is that I will never let someone tell me who I am. Tell again you because hey. I had that experience. So Amen. that is the biggest lesson I learned on that campus. And Amen. I, I, I am grateful for that because that is a lesson that I needed to learn. And it's a lesson that I also will recognize that I'm not going to put on other people. Like you yeah. said, like professors or other girls feeling some type of way about things. And I think like a lot of that for a lot of the black girls in my school, including me is it comes from a place of insecurity, right. Yeah. Of like, not knowing yourself and just trying to like get through the time. So it, also because you're yeah. a child, you're a Literally, child. Your brain isn't fully formed. Exactly. You didn't even get a little bit of a cocoon to like yes. become the butterfly or whatever else exactly. for it could be. Like you were fighting while trying to figure, and you were had to do all these fake allegiances and whatever yes. just to survive while yes. trying to just discover yourself at the same right. time. Exactly. It's exhausting. No wonder y'all like it's exhausting. I want to shift gears and I want to talk about partying on campus. I want to talk about homecoming culture because that's what this season is about. This season is all about, it's certainly about the legacy of HBCUs, but it's, it's homecoming season right now, right? In a different world. <laughs> see what I did there? I like what you did there. In a different world, we would be at homecoming uh, right so now, whether that I'm is so on our, uh, you know, on the yard on HBCUs or at PWI. So I want to talk about that, that party culture. Because it's it's different, right? I think partying with white people and partying with all black people is is very very different. Like, does that even sound fun to you? Part, like the sentence you said, partying okay. with white people. So let me just let me just, <laughs> let me just one, to, one time for the PWIs, real quick, okay, real quick. Because I did, I grew up, I went to I went to like Catholic school pretty much all my life. So I partied with white people pretty much all my life, okay. Mommy, cover your ears. Mommy, cover your ears. <laughs> but I did. I started, I went to Catholic school in Long Island. That's enough. That says wow, enough. That, that says it all. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Long Island. Island. The white people at Yale are drinking like they're trying to die. Okay? Like, <laughs> like, gen- like genuinely. Yes. Like, you have a darkness a behind your eyes yes. that I do that's not even want to like we just Like, we just trying to have fun. Y'all like, yeah. let me die today. Yes. Maybe. Yes. So, Literally. So, Sylvia, I need you to get, because I've never experienced an NCANT GHO greatest homecoming on earth experience. I need you to give me a little bit of insight. I mean, so yes, as you mentioned, um, North Carolina A&T <laughs> does have the greatest homecoming on earth. That's Here what GHO stands for. We created the hashtag GHO the year Twitter started in 2009. Um, and <laughs> a lot of schools did. have tried to, to call it GHO because they didn't know what it stood for. And when they found out, they were like, oh, let's no, 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 it was us. Is that a it's fact? Is that really? Yeah, yeah, no, we we actually greatest homecoming on earth is what the billboards used to say. And then when Twitter became a thing, we did hashtag GHO to, to shorten it. And then oh, some schools would be like, oh, gee. And that's, and that's not to say that I, I joke about it being the greatest, but I'm saying that like the GHO thing was ours first, like just Innovative. calling it GHO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But here's why. I'm going to tell y'all, and I'm, I'm going to speak to the, the, all the HBCUs in major cities. Mm-hmm. Part of why a and I think the thing that takes A&T's over the top is that we're in Greensboro. Right. There's mm-hmm. nothing else happening. Right. We don't have right. to worry about traffic. Yeah. We don't have to worry about the parties that the clubs were already having because they were popping without us. Yeah. Like, the city is ours, right? Yeah. So I think the thing about A&T's homecoming that I always hear is like, we make everybody feel at home. Mm. If you there and you black, let's turn up. Mm. And it's very much like it's a marathon and not a race. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, they set up. They set up early. They're not playing mm-hmm. because they're, while you Danielle are getting your barbecue catered, 
the black fathers are on the campus smoking ours at 8 a.m. You know what I mean? Like, they're Facts. making it fresh. Trucks. Like, we're not getting Trucks. it catered. Mm. The black she people who are there. With her sniper rifle. <laughs> with their barbecue <laughs> sandals like they are on. They got their, the for real. The Jesus. Early, you know what I mean? Jesus so 11. Like, the Jesus eleven on. And the, the, the key is, is to make friends with their friends whose parents went to A&T to the legacy kids because they right. got the whole uncle, auntie setup. Yes. They got the best yeah. liquor. Right. Right. They got the best barbecue. Yeah. They got the best food, the best fish plates. And then also the frats and stuff do that too. So like right. one year, it got so extra and we paid for this for a couple of years after. Somebody shot off fireworks from their plot. And gave us a whole fireworks show from the plot <laughs> illegally <What? laughs> on campus. And they, and they shut down the plot the next year at homecoming because they were like, niggas, y'all done took it too far. <laughs> but it was like, <laughs> and, you knew, and we all knew the second we saw the firework go, I said, now who the, fuck? the hell? <laughs> who? I can't say because, like we said, allegedly, oh, 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 I'm not going to get nobody in trouble. But like, fireworks got shut off. That's how extra we go. <laughs> I feel like the other thing, too, that, that we don't do as much, we do at PWS because we definitely we have our parties and stuff after the yeah. tailgate. But the fashions, like the style of homecoming, I think. It's such a big... I'm literally in awe right now because you guys had fried chicken Wednesday. I had like mayo sandwich Monday. Like <laughs> literally with senators in their boat shoes and like Patagonia life vests. <laughs> well, wow. We well fried chicken Friday was in our calf every week. We wow. just like the alliteration of fried chicken Friday. But I do wanted to add one thing, but before we get into food and the fashion, is like what Scotty said, and I think it's why it feels so religious to us and even just like spiritual in a sense and why it's gonna suck so much hasn't happened this year. The same utopia sanctuary hub yes. that we talk about having when we were in college, as yes. adults, you appreciate that more. more. And homecoming right. is the only chance we get to relive it for a weekend. Mm, Essentially, right. it's like yeah. we're reliving what it's like to put the race behind us yes. and literally right. just have fun right. without having to worry about being black. You know, because it is mm. just so beautifully black. And the more, yes. I know and now I understand why alum enjoy homecoming so much more. They used to tell us when we were in school and I was like, I can't imagine this getting better because right. of Richmond partying, but yeah. it's better because what you're money? so exactly. It's literally just that, like, we get to go back to yes. what that feeling is, and it yes. just feels it's a hug, it's just yeah, a safe, it really it's is. a safe yeah. space, and it's uh. the only time you can party in a safe space because no matter how far we get, no matter how many VIP events we get invited to, I've been to the Oscars. It's not the same. Nothing yeah. compares to it because it's like you, like I literally have looked out onto the crowd and see of beautiful black faces and just want to cry. Yeah, like, I have because cried. it's just like mm. it's just like it's, it's it doesn't get you know yeah. it doesn't get any better, especially no. right now. That's yeah. real. That's very real. And I, I, I do. That. I can. I think I can relate to the idea of being back mm. home and being with the people who you were with, who you grew up with. Right. Like there's something about being with the people who watch you grow up, but there's something even more about doing that with all black people and being able to return to that, which I think yeah. is amazing. And that pride. Yeah. That, that's what we say, Aggie pride. And we say it a lot and we're annoying, but it's that pride of like, Sylvia, I'm proud of you. Like the, right. the, the, that Draymond, the Draymond green whisper in the ear gift. That's everybody <laughs> yeah. on the yard at homecoming. Yes. Pouring into yes. you, reminding yes. you how far you've come yes. because mm. they remember, mm. you know what mm. I mean? For real. It's, 
it's really a celebration of life, literally, Ooh. of Ooh. how far you come. And just like I've been to other homecomings and it's literally the same. Like I I can feel that way at any HBCU homecoming, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is something that's special. Chelsea, you're around more white people at your homecoming. So yes. <laughs> yeah. So I like our Harvard Yale game, which was the biggest thing. And it's so funny because again, I'm like, there's thousands of people and alums who are like 60 and seven year olds who look like uncooked biscuits, like getting <laughs> out and getting on the, like it, like it is the last thing that they will do. The collective like GDP of the people on that yard is first of all, disgusting because it's, it's like the top 1% of people who are just out here being wild and so used to not ever having, having someone say no to them ever. Oh, yeah. So they're sitting, they're like railing on top of cars. Mm. They're like just genuinely like taking down things. Like mm. they're, they're doing all the, the things that they accuse yes. Black Lives Matters people of doing. Exactly. And exactly. Confused about it. And with a smile it. and with zero irony. And like, but not only that, like we deserve this. Like that Mm. And that, like, is the whole thing. It's not, like, celebrating what, like, we have in this moment. It's, like, celebrating what we've had and what we've got. Like, we mm. will continue to take this. And it's it's so bizarre because it's also, like, when you're in it, you're just like, oh, okay. But I will never forget this. When I saw that photo of Malia Obama <laughs> at her Harvard-Yale, because she went to Harvard homecoming, I was like, girl, just... <laughs> Just get out, Sick. like get out while you can. <laughs> and she had her bottle of Whispering Angel, and I was like, I get it, finish oh, it. You're gonna need it. Like, I got to finish it. You're gonna need it. Like that is genuinely like I felt <laughs> that picture finish because I was like, I've been there, and Ooh. like keep drinking because it doesn't get any better. Mm. <laughs> you know, but I think I think you make a good point, Chelsea, that like that elitism yeah. that we talked about that exists in like the HBCU framework that exists in PWIs too. It's just yeah. like in a you know Northwestern being in the Big Ten, we play a lot of state schools. We're terrible at football, but we are smart as hell, and we do this thing. We do this thing, and I did not realize this until maybe right before I graduated. We shake our keys on the third down at the game. We shake, oh. shake our keys. Okay, but let me tell you why it's really terrible. Oh, we shake our keys because we are likely going to lose this game. Right. But we shake our keys because we're like, we're likely we're going to lose this game. But you're going to be parking our cars one day because you went to a state school with the exception of Penn. But like, that's really. Yeah. Who even (laughs) thinks to come up with that shit? That's the other thing. White people are mean (laughs) at these things. White people are mean at these homecomings. Well, I guess the people who invented racism and slavery would be mean. Exactly. So at a a football game, like if you're losing, you start chanting state school, state school, because Northwestern's a private university. So you also have to think about like the kids who attend Northwestern are are rich. Like they Mm -hmm. make a lot of money. It's expensive to go there. Like y'all just blew me away. And let me listen, I'm a bougie bitch. Okay. But I ain't telling (laughs) nobody they're going to be parking my car. (laughs) So that same type of elitism definitely exists. I think on the PWI side and it plays itself out. It plays itself out in a strange way as a black person. Yeah. We have covered so much ground. I, I don't even know where to begin. We had so much to discuss in this episode, but I want to wrap it up by asking, and I feel like I know what the answer on the other side is, but I'm going to start by asking, would you choose 
if you could choose differently, would you choose a PWI over your HBCU experience or or vice versa? I, I, will, I will start. Again, I chose to go to a PWI. Would I have now, in retrospect, gone to an HBCU? I want to caveat this by saying I love, I really loved my Northwestern experience. I did. I love my classmates. I love my sorority sisters. I do still feel like I had a very Black experience at Northwestern. Would I make a different decision today? Yeah, I would. I do think that I would, at least if I could go back to 17-year-old Danielle deciding where she was going to apply, I would challenge her to think of herself as more than just an aspiring journalist. I would Mm -hmm. tell her to think of herself as a Black woman and Mm -hmm. to ask herself what kind of environment she wanted as a result of that. I am incredibly indebted to my experience at Northwestern because I would not be doing what I'm doing today. Chelsea, my sister, would you do it differently today? Would you go to an HBCU over going to Yale with the white people? I mean, it's so funny because I I think about this a lot and I've thought about this like way before this podcast. And I think like no matter what, I want to honor 18-year-old Chelsea and I want to honor who she was because without her, I wouldn't be here, right? Mm -hmm. So I would still go to Yale, but I don't think I would need to prove myself in the way that I thought I did because Mm -hmm. coming to Yale, I I think I would just tell myself like, you're enough, you're enough Mm -hmm. as you are. Mm -hmm. And it was something I had to learn the hard way, but Mm -hmm. I'm glad I learned it and I have more than learned it in my adulthood. Mm -hmm. Very honest, sis. Very honest. I love that. Sylvia, would you make another choice? Would you go to a PWI over at HBCU for undergrad if you could? Hell no. <laughs> hell, hell no. Hell no. And I say that even like padded with the fact that I went to an Ivy League school for grad school and for yeah. one year, I got out of that shit in one year. People are like, wow, you're so smart. I all the time. Like, well, I can't believe you did the Columbia in one year. I'm also like, not only could I not afford two years, but I couldn't afford another year with all them white folks. Mm. Just actively being unaware of black culture. Like it's not that like it doesn't define culture. Like my biggest frustration was with the ignorance that white people were able to have about us. Yeah. Like they didn't even take, I went like to Columbia. They didn't even know. I, the amount of times where I had to explain what, what's an HBCU right. in 2012 mm. and 2013 yeah. to people who were supposed to be smart they enough to know. get into Columbia? Yeah, they don't know. How are you able to be that ignorant and still get acclaimed as this smart? Yeah. Like, I graduated, like, I was smart. And so for me, and that's why I went to a, I mm-hmm. need to also make myself see both sides, but right. it confirmed to me that the education I got, and I said it to the, the, the bookworms and the lead readers and the smart black girls who may listen to this, the education you'll get at an HBCU baby is not less than what mm. you're going to get at HBCU wise. And I mm-hmm. hope you know that you can have both. You can choose yourself and choose the HBCU and choose mm-hmm. your education and your brightness, and you will still be able to compete with the best of them out here in the real world. Absolutely. I love that. I'm so glad you said that. I'm mm-hmm. so glad you said that. Scotty, go ahead and round us out, sis. What would no, you do? Um, absolutely not. And that's just number one. That's always going to be number one. I think I wouldn't be where I am today without an HBCU. Without, And it's not about, it's about the HBCU, but it is about, it's more about the people. Mm. The people, yeah. 
I love them. And I'm trying not to get so emotional because I'm extremely emotional, especially when I talk about the bonds that I've made in college. Those people will stick with me forever. Those words that they say to me, the support that I get. The mm. first support that I got was from the black kids at an HBCU, you mm-hmm. know, the HBCU that I went to, the amount of support that I received from there, the push that I got was because of them. Mm. So I will never, ever, ever discredit that. I would never look over that. I would never, ever, I would, I think what I would do differently is figure out this mental health thing, mm. help HBCUs with mental health, and mm. how to deal with that, mm. how to find more resources, how to get more resources. Because sometimes the resources are there. Right. You know, they just don't know how to get to them, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And learning how to deal with mental health issues in mm. college, period. Mm. Especially Black women, Black men who go to schools, go to any school. But, you know, I'm just speaking because I went to HBCU. Mm-hmm. I think that's the only thing I would do different. I think other than that no I think I am so blessed and I am honored to have gone to Clark Atlanta University I would not change it at all for anything in this world I will do it again and again and again Mm. so I am beyond grateful for what they have done for me well what the people have done for me (laughs) at those schools absolutely Mm. amen I love that and look we're all here now right so like, right. yeah, right. We're, we're all here shining. Right. And I love that. I cannot thank our incredible guests enough. The co-hosts of OK Now Listen, Sylvia O'Bell and Scotty Beam. Thank you guys so much for being thank here. You. This conversation was soul filling. It was informative. It was fun. It was funny. It was everything Thank you guys for your time. Thank you for being here. But also, I say this, I, I like to say this. Thank you for being here. Mm. Absolutely. Next time y'all come to us. Yes. 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 <laughs> You should know by now that this is my favorite segment of every episode. The one, the only, don't at me segment. If you are a longtime listener of the Go Off Sis podcast, you should know. And for those of you who don't, the Don't At Me segment is our summary on our conversation where we tie a bow and put a cherry on top. The catch is you cannot at us no matter what was said. As my good Auntie Nene Leak says, I said what I said. And to kick off our special season, my sister Chelsea Sanders is going to do today's Don't At Me. Chelsea, take it away. Okay. So this season, we're talking about HBCUs. And to be honest, at first, I wasn't sure what that would look like. I didn't go to one. Wasn't in a Black Greek organization. And homecoming, like most of 2020 things, is on pause for this year. But it's so funny because in this conversation and in this season, we're talking about what it feels like to go to HBCUs. But what we're really talking about is what it feels like to go home. 
the point of talking about HBCUs and debating between them and PWIs isn't only to determine which one's best. And look, I'm the first to say HBCUs are miles ahead when it comes to building a real place for us to find ourselves, whether that's as a woman, as a student, or anything else you want to be. But like I said, we're talking about what makes sense. You got to do for you, whether that's in college or life. Just like choosing your own school, you should have the freedom to make choices for you and no one else so you can find a place you can call home. So wherever you ended up, I hope you were just as proud to walk through those doors as anyone else there. And if you're like me and realizing that those spaces may have beat you down instead of building you up, it's hard, I know. But it's okay because we still have time to learn and unlearn. And that's what we're going to do right here together. So whether you're a joiner, whether you went to college or not, or whether you've been throwing up that dynasty sign, you're part of this class. So let's throw on our chucks and get to work. Don't at me. Season three of the Go Offices podcast was made possible by Target. Our home for style this HBCU homecoming season. Whether you're an HBCU student, fan, auntie, or alum, Target is here to elevate your creativity and hype your personal style this fall. As we continue to celebrate our sisterhood and the joy of our legacy building reunions, Target gives us the power to showcase our individuality and embrace our communities with pride right on time. Whether we're on the yard or gathering virtually this fall, we are still going to be serving looks. Head over to Target.com or the Target app to check out all their style options and take your celebrations to the next level. We are so excited to open our first episode of season three with the amazing Logan Browning. Logan is an actress and Atlanta native who you most definitely recognize from some of your favorite series, including Netflix's Dear White People, the hugely popular show now heading into its fourth and final season. You may also remember her from BET's Hit the Floor, The Perfection, or the classic Bratz film. If that's not enough, Logan also uses her platform to be an advocate and an activist for causes that affect our community today. Logan, welcome to the Go Off Sis podcast. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for having me in the middle of a pandemic. Right. We're all just trying to survive and thrive. We're all just, we're just trying. That's the goal. That's always the goal. Right. In this season, we're talking all about HBCU culture. It's about homecoming culture. And... Chelsea and I were very honest about the fact that we didn't attend HBCUs. We went to PWIs, went to school with white people. With white people, as we as we <laughs> say. <White people>. Yes. <laughs> W-Y-I-P-O. Exactly. <laughs> Period. Exactly. And and you know, we know that you had a similar experience, of course, attending Vanderbilt, but also portraying a black girl at a PWI and dear white people. Your character, Samantha White. Being a black girl at a PWI who's who's trying to just like wake the black and white student body and just like raise the consciousness of the campus, it's it's so relevant to 
today and what what we're experiencing today. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, that portrayal of Samantha? And is there any overlap between your own experience at Vanderbilt and, um, you know, just kind of the relevance of the conversation that's happening on the show today? Right. I think it's so funny that all we're sitting, none of us here have been to HBCUs. It's funny, like now I'm like, damn, maybe I should have gone to HBCU. We said the same thing. <laughs> we said the same. Yeah, look, we're sitting here looking at ourselves too. Like, we're man. like so... looking at yourself sideways. Right? Yes. <laughs> we said the same thing. But also, I will say going to a PWI is its own also unique experience, not to be diminished because you do encounter other excellent Black people, black women there. And, and that was predominantly my experience is when you are at a PWI, similar to in the show, you, you have to find your enclave. You have to find that core group of people who you see yourself in. And I mean, those are my, those are my friends to this day. Like those are the people who still support me and who I still talk to. So I think in that way, I feel my experience to the show is, is, was similar. And I also feel like, I mean, I wasn't like a, I wasn't like a, like a major activist on campus. I wasn't really an activist on campus at all. I was really just trying to live my life and, and manage. So <laughs> I really respect the Sam's and the Joel's of the world who were like really about that life on campus. And I've met those real life young women and I, and I, I just respect them so much because you're, you're all, like we said, you're just trying to like survive and thrive just doing your thing. And so to imagine that you're also up against, as a black woman, you're up against like the culture of of being at a PWI, but you're also trying to change that. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. And you're like 20 years old. Right. You're a baby. Which way is that? (laughs) I wonder, do you, do you feel like that affected you at all at Vanderbilt? Do you feel like that is communicated also in, in Dear White People, because I, I feel like I see that, like a lot of the interactions between the students are oftentimes a result of how white people are seeing us. Right. It's so funny. I feel like my personal experience growing up, like, uh, it was so interesting. I, I feel like I was just always around a lot of Black people, but I also was around a lot of white people. So for some reason, the transition from my upbringing to a PWI wasn't like, it wasn't a shock. I don't know. Right, right. Um, but I actually think that the show, for the most part, even though it's it's endearingly titled Dear White People, it's it's really for us. And it, it, the point mm-hmm. is is to be from our own our own gaze, you know, discussing mm-hmm. the gaze of them, but from our own lens. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we're we're sort of talking about this and who these shows are for, right? <laughs> and thinking about the audience for them. And it, it really is us, right? So I think there's a long tradition of watching Black girls in college on TV. It, it feels like you're a role model when you're in college and playing this, this sort of Black woman, this Black, you're performing this Black excellence in a way. Yeah. Well, I mean, Moesha was another character who mm. was in college who we saw. And I I don't know. For, I remember it being an HBCU, but maybe it was just like a state school with a lot of black kids. I don't really remember what it right. was. It felt but, like mm. she went to school with a lot of black people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Hakeem. Like, <laughs> but like, I, I feel like when I think about the characters that I've looked up to in terms of I even think about Sister Sister, even though they were in high school, it was portraying their experience in like a school setting. And theirs was more of, I feel like a more predominantly white space. And I feel like 
the thing that I that resonated with the thing that resonated with me about both of those characters that also I think resonates with me about Sam is that they were very imperfect and they were very I don't know they had these they had their superhero moments they had the things that they were really amazing at and and really shined and then they had the things where like, even in, even in um, arguments, they were, they were the wrong ones. And I feel like that was mm-hmm. important. It is important for me because I feel like as a, as a black woman, I, I feel like I always have to be like on the right side. I feel like I always have mm-hmm. to be like, there's a lot on my shoulders, but even, you know, Netflix has Moesha now. And I went and watched the first episode, I think it was, or maybe I was watching this online. I don't even know, but um, Countess's character auditions to be a cheerleader Mm -hmm. and she drags Moesha along because she wants a friend and then Moesha basically doesn't go forward and Moesha's hating on her like she's Mm -hmm. hating on her own Mm -hmm. friend right and you're like girl you're supposed to be like our our like shining example you can't be hating your friend but it's reflecting those things back to us to help make us better right so that's what Mm -hmm. I like and you see that a lot in Dear White People with Sam and Joe right you have this like lead light-skinned like character who is kind of like these all of these characters are are revolving in and out of her life. And and you see how she treats her friend, her best friend, supposedly. We so often are a little trepidatious about showing who we are fully and the fact that like sometimes we make mistakes and there's complications and like all of that. And I I love that you touch on sort of the, the aspect of colorism between Sam and Joe, particularly, you know, we talk about how that exists in an HBCU framework when you completely, when you erase race from the equation. You shared with us a, a couple years ago that people ask you what you are all the time and, and you very clearly respond Black. Mm-hmm. Was that something that informed how you played Sam, particularly when it comes to those, like, to the dynamic between her and Joe, that, that colorism aspect that, that plays a very, a very real role in their relationship? Yeah. It's funny how I infer my portrayal of Sam is is similar to Logan because because of how I grew up, because of the images around me, I I never saw myself as anything other than black. I never really thought, saw myself as like light skin. I never saw myself as biracial. Like I, I, it's public that I'm adopted. My parents are black, though. I'm raised by two black parents. My house, mm-hmm. my family. There's nothing about my life that feels that doesn't feel black. So like, that's, you know, it's just my, it's my lens. And I think that what Sam experiences similar to Logan, but also in her own way is like a reckoning and a really, like really realizing that regardless of how she wants to see herself, the world is going Mm. to see her a certain way and the world is going to treat her a certain way and the world is going to treat Mm. her differently than her friends. Yes. Particularly when you're in, an undergraduate framework. Like you're this young person trying to just come into your own. And there's that's a complicated experience in and of itself. So I love that the show really goes there with that conversation. And the show itself is, I think, part of such an incredible legacy of, of Black shows. But, but again, to Chelsea's point about the, sort of this portrayal of Black kids in college. And I want to talk to you a little bit about Yvette Lee Bowser and like this, this legacy that she, I mean, her incredible legacy going way, way back, but of course, like kind of this almost 2.0 version of a different world, right? Like uh, there were so many connections that were being made between her work on a different world and now her work with Dear White People. How does that feel for you as a creative getting getting a chance to work with her? I love Yvette so much. We, 
Yvette and I are birthday twins. So we're both, we have the same exact birthday. We're What's your crazy, sign? Crazy Gemini. Yes, me too. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Best sign. Best sign. Everybody wants we to are. hate on Gemini. But the thing is, all y'all, y'all don't want to admit that you love Geminis. You're they just, do. That's why you're mad. You're mad. The world wouldn't <laughs> okay. exist without us. Exactly. Like, I mean, hello. <laughs> so, and obviously we have Yvette Lee Bowser, clear yes. perfect example. Exactly. What would you do without her? <laughs> She's just such an example when it comes to how to lead. I, I think that she, she has this way of leading with all of the parts of her, mm-hmm. like, and not just choosing one. Like she doesn't just lead with her blackness. She doesn't just lead with her womanhood. She doesn't just lead with her experience and her legacy. She kind of is like all of them equally are kind of moving forward. So you get this really balanced approach to all of the material. And there's a level of trust, I think, that comes with having Yvette around just because she's done it already and she's seen, you know, results of of certain storylines. And I, I don't know. I, I really think trust is the is the biggest thing I think I feel when when I'm working with Yvette and when I'm mm-hmm. around her. She, the episode where Sam's dad dies mm. and she goes home, Yvette co-wrote that with Nasterin, one of our other writers. And that was a really personal story for Yvette and Nasterin and myself, because I also lost my father. And mm-hmm. it's just, uh, I don't know, there's something that's so magical that happens when you're on production sometimes, like mm. when people's stories are coming together and you realize you're telling a story that is universal, but also personal. And right. then... Uh, I don't know, but I, I just, I just respect Yvette so much. And she's, she's one of those people who definitely hasn't gotten the roses that she really deserves for mm. what she's done. Right. Right. So I hope, I hope that that changes. We give her her roses on this show. Yes. Okay. Yes. So yes. Yes. Yvette Lee Bowser. <laughs> and this is what happens when you let black women lead. Okay. Mm. I want to, because I want to ask, I know you were on hit the floor, which also had, you know, a good, a fair amount of black people on it, but you've also been on sets where there haven't been as many black people. Right. So what is that distinction for you when you're with black people and with people who relate to your experiences on set? Yeah. I I've been really lucky and really blessed with all of the experiences I've had on sets. And I had a lot of fun on hit the floor because it, mm-hmm. it was it actually was never about our blackness. It, we just kind of existed as we were as these characters, mm. which was some kind of a relief, you know, it was just kind of, Mm. it was nice to feel safe and comfortable to feel completely supported and to feel like, I don't know, like that was a different experience or being on meet the Browns. Like that was a very specific sitcom for black families. Mm -hmm. Or I played a, a comic book character who was written as white and blonde and they cast me Mm. and there weren't black women writing that story but I I still I was able to trust I don't know it's always so so interesting and different when I did the perfection that character was not written black either but when they cast me Allison myself and Richard Shepard the director sat down and said what needs to change because now a black woman is playing this role or a Logan Mm. is playing this role so I I, I like when there are more black people on set because I just feel comfortable. Like right. hence I, I hit the floor, even when we're not talking about race in the material, I can, I can feel comfortable, but it doesn't mean that I, I haven't. And I think that truly part of going to a PWI has also inferred that because mm. I have been forced mm. to feel comfortable in any space and protect myself in any space. And it takes time. It takes time to learn how to go from, because I do think I, I went from 
like I crafted, I got, I got very good at code switching. And then I had to learn how to take up space as just me, right? As mm. like to just be like, actually, I'm not going to adapt to this space. You're going to adapt to me being in this space. Mm-hmm. And that was a an experience that came from my PWI experience was sort of having to do the code switching in order to push myself to just take up the space in a, in a way that maybe 18-year-old me as a freshman, wasn't really ready to do, but then like into my twenties, continuing to be in white spaces, I was just tired, you know, like, it's mm. like, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. I think that that's really interesting. Also like talking about taking up space, right. Whether it's in front of the camera or behind the camera. Right. And I think as we also are talking about updating black stories for today, the conversation around what happens behind the camera is almost even more important than what happens in front of it. Right. And I think these conversations around equity and we've seen this reckoning in Hollywood when it comes to representation off screen, that's also recently affected your cast as well. And I just want to talk about sort of that shift, maybe even whether it's the past few months or past few years about being able to see more of you off screen or being able to take up space in a way that feels more profound or that feels more productive as your full black self. And just, I wonder how that might affect as you come back to play Samantha as a character for this final season too. It's, It'll be interesting. I haven't read any of the scripts yet for season four, but it'll be interesting just because so much has happened in the world that's affected all of us and not some of us. And I wonder how that would be reflected in the writing for a season four. I, I I mean, I, I will say this is one of the very few like podcasts that I've agreed to do because I'm burnt out. Mm. (laughs) Like, I am. I, mm. I knew that. I knew that this energetically wouldn't, you know, add to that burnout. But mm. I, I, I have had to say no to a lot of things that mm. I would have usually loved to do, and mm. especially at a very important and crucial time. Right. At the end of the day, I kind of have to make sure that I'm okay, mm. that my well-being mm. is that. intact. Um, yes. And so I just wonder how that will affect. I think that that kind of came into play last season. You saw at least yeah. with Sam, with, with Reggie yep. specifically, you saw their burnout and you right. saw how the world affected them. So I wonder how the world affecting all of us as the people creating the show will mm. affect the show. Mm. 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 I love that so much. Wow. First of all, we are honored. Okay. Yeah. We're honored that we're one of the shows that you, <laughs> Thank that you. you agreed to. <laughs> and we've talked, we actually talked a lot last season about that. We were recording last season in the midst of everything going on. And there were times when we would get on here and just be like, y'all, we don't have it today. Like we are tired and we are frustrated. And it was sometimes hard to find the creative motivation. And and there were times where we had to say that, that that was, that that was okay. Mm -hmm. I, it's funny when I hear I hear you say something I've said also, which is like, oh, it's exa- like being black is exhausting. It is, but it's also like so, lit. you know this, it's so <laughs> lit. It's so joyful. It's lit. <laughs> it's, so, it's the best. Yes. 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 It's so joyful. And like, I think that I, I personally have to continue to like, it's all about our narrative. Like if there's mm. a narrative mm. that, that the world is telling us and there's a narrative that we're like, could, 
like creating for ourselves. And I have to be constantly reminding myself how much joy I get from like my group chats and talking to my mom and like the things Mm -hmm. like our content. Um, And I think that because of that, when, when I think about all the different parts of Logan, I I can never, I, I will always be someone who wants to protect and care and, I I can never separate. That's just always been a part of me, no matter what, what that is Mm. in front of me, I will always find the space to care. Mm. I also shout out to our group chats and our mamas. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, I just feel like you put us together. You you, you (laughs) have a tough day and you're like, let me just go to my group chat. (laughs) 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 The party, like, what my my girls know what's up when I hit them with just like, y'all. Like, (laughs) Like, if I just hit, if I just send, Y'all, like they won't get me back, like girl. You know, like, Danielle sent me just you... a couple, like girl. Like, <laughs> I've definitely, girl. I've definitely <laughs> hit Chelsea with the like girl. <laughs> and, and she's like, you know, like, and she's like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you ever notice how black women could have a whole conversation without saying nothing? Girl, they'll nothing. be like, girl, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think talking about being more intentional and choosing things and saying no or yes to things and being more specific when no is a full sentence. <laughs> no is a full sentence. Say, I was going to say, say, it one one say, say it one more time. One more time for the people in the back. No is a full sentence. <laughs> um, what, you know, for you as you, again, sunset Sam with season four, um, what is the, the sort of next stage look like for you? What are you saying yes to and what are yes. you saying no to? <laughs> well, I definitely, I, I have these filmmaker dreams of just really creating and, and being a bigger part of that process. I, I want to tell stories. I, I want to challenge our status quo. I want to tell stories from the lens of people with disability, like mm. with characters mm. who have disability. I, yes. I think that mm. there's so many people who are, are just overlooked Mm. When we talk about inclusion yes. um, and, and black disability is something like we overlook yes. when we talk about inclusion. Yes. Um, I grew up with uncles with disability and like, it's just a very normal part of my life. And I think a normal part of a lot of people's lives, but yes. it doesn't, you don't get to see that on television, true, on films. Mm-hmm. Like what's, yeah. what's the last film you remember seeing with a, with a disabled person in it, right, right. but the, but mm. the dis- disabled population is the biggest minority population in the world. Mm. So imagine oh, being wow. a part of the largest minority group in the world yet you never yourself. see yourself i mean it's de- it it devastates me when i think about it because mm. i've been watching recently love on the spectrum on netflix and it's just it's literally my favorite show on television you guys have to go watch it your whole life is going to change and i will say i mean it's they're in the uk and it's very it's very white but it's still very it's it's a step you know mm-hmm. um, so i just want to be a part of of continuing to broaden like all of the possibilities like the mm. spectrum of of everything that we can see and and just think about how enriched you are to see stories that are that are dissimilar from your own but they're also universal like when we saw crazy rich asians like we, right. we flew to see it we wanted it you right. know when you see a dear white people you you fly to see it and and i mean obviously that's closer to our experience but you know when you see something that is a spe- specific to a specific group of people. Right. 
those stories are still universal. And I think that that's what a dear white people does. It, it teaches us that just because you don't, you might not look like this doesn't mean you can't see yourself in this. So I just hope to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. But also I just want to acknowledge, like we are going to manifest what you just said, sis. Mm-hmm. Like you thinking and telling those stories. Like you just lit up when you said that. Yes. And so I really want to like, this is, we make space to do that here. And Logan, thank you so much for being here. We cannot thank you enough for your time. Thank you for being here and for being here in the culture and for what you are doing for us as an actress, as an activist, as a storyteller, as a future filmmaker. (laughs) We can't thank you enough, sis. Thank you so much for being part of the Go Off Sis podcast. Thank you both. I'm really proud of you both and I'm really happy to be here. The Go Off Sis podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Chelsea Sanders, Rashad Isaac, and myself, Danielle Cadet. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Chelsea Sanders, Sylvia O'Bell, and Scotty Beam. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started on Instagram at R29Unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis.